Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hi, friends. Happy Wednesday. Today, we are answering your questions that were texted in, including things like how do ones relax, feeling like people are always mad at you, helping others to understand their motivations, and more. But first, today's Rosebud and Thorn. So my rose today is that I changed my personal Instagram account to Sarah Jane Case Writes, and I'm like doing a thing. Um, Basically, I started in the end of March writing a poem every day. And oh gosh, I guess it was like mid-March. I started like mid-March writing a poem every day. And I just came to life. And it was just such a good practice for me that I was like, I'm going to do this for a full year. And so I changed my personal Instagram account and I'm dedicating all of the energy of like, or I'm just putting out a poem every day for a whole year over there. And it honestly is just reconnecting me back to Instagram and to creativity and to play in a way that I really need. And I just, I feel so excited. I feel rejuvenated through the practice. So if, and I will say, if that's something you're interested in, um, some of the poems are going to be bad. Some of them are going to be good. I don't know which you decide for yourself, which ones are which, but if that's something you're interested in, you can check it out at Sarah Jane Case Writes. Um, and we'll put it, the link in the show notes as well. It will be fun. It'll be a fun year. And my thorn today is that, y'all, it is hard to know when you're making the right parenting decisions. Like we have like a general philosophy. Typically we kind of follow the positive parenting guidelines and kind of that's really our approach. And it was our approach before we even knew what positive parenting was, honestly. But it's hard sometimes. Like you feel like, okay, I'm making, I'm doing what feels right. And the doubt is just so real, you know, and you won't really know for years and years and years, decades, even if you made the right choice or not. And that's, it's awkward, right? And that's kind of my thorn. My bud today is I cannot wait to plant my garden this year. I'm like so prepped, so drawn out. But our last frost is the 15th, according to like the Farmer's Almanac. And so I'm not going to plant it until the 16th, but I am ready to go. Okay, let's get into our first question. So question number one, how do ones relax and rest? I am a hardcore one and I'm having trouble to really rest and it's affecting my physical health. Any advice would be so helpful. So I kind of have three thoughts on this. The first one is honestly, for most ones that I have met, it's play, you know, getting really silly involving planned spontaneity, have hanging out with someone um, who makes you laugh and or honest to goodness, like blocking off time and going on vacation, getting out of places where you feel like you can't unsee the things that need to be done and that it's not your responsibility to do them. A lot of ones say I have like a completely different personality that comes out when I'm on vacation 
And that's often the case for our ones. Now, if you, like me, are quarantined right now, an option for you could be just having a day where you go out by yourself and you're not in your home, but you're like in the wilderness. It could be having a virtual game night. It could be renting an Airbnb for a few days in your hometown. Those are just some ideas. But in general, it's really about kind of leaning into that seven space of playfulness, spontaneity, um, and looking for the bright side, intentionally finding the silver lining on things. The other thing is learning to not overfunction over time. So in general, our ones, you guys are doing more work than you have to, to be a person. You're aware of all of the ways in which things could be improved, and you have kind of this natural inclination that it's your job to improve them. And one of the things that you can learn and practice is releasing things that are beyond your control or things that are not yours to be concerned about. Maybe you're You can kind of ask yourself the question, where am I picking up responsibility that was never mine to begin with? Where am I overdoing things just to try to live up to my own expectations, even though it's not the expectation that is commonly expected of me here? Another way for ones to release stress, and this is really important, is to find healthy ways to express your anger. One's are in the anger triad. However, what can often happen is that anger gets shoved so far down that you almost aren't even aware that it's there, but you do realize that you're kind of irritated often or stressed out. And oftentimes it's really just about getting that anger out, moving it through your body, honoring it as what it is. That can be like screaming alone in your car, when you're on your way somewhere. It can be like writing an angry letter that tells the truth about how you're really feeling about everything. And maybe you burn that letter. It could be breaking things. It could be dancing, shaking it out. Whatever you need to do can be punching a pillow. Just find a healthy way to express your anger so that you can experience it and then let it move through you so it doesn't have to kind of stay under the surface all the time. Hopefully that is helpful for you, my one. Um, We're going to go on to question number two. Hi, my name is Elizabeth. I'm a four wing three and I love your Instagram page. Thanks. I had a few questions. So first of all, I always feel like people are mad at me. And if someone does something hurtful, I take it very personally. And it's really hard for me to not hold a grudge that leads to a lot of guilt. Do you have any tips on how I can better address my feelings when this happens? I also was wondering what advice you have on how to better control emotions that rise quickly. I tend to get angry very quick and upset very quick. And I also find stressful situations tend to exaggerate these issues. Thanks for your help. Thank you for writing in, Elizabeth. And absolutely. So the first thing I would say is just be careful about the story that you tell yourself about situations. Um, I typically say this very kind of triggering statement to force because it's kind of the opposite of how you feel orient in the world, which is facts over feelings. It's important to look at the data, not what you think the data means. Meaning if you're in a situation with a friend and that person hands you something and you think they handed that to me with kind of this angry tone and they must be mad at me, when we take our feelings, the feelings tell the story of they're angry at me. I've done something to upset them the facts are they handed you a piece of paper, right? That's the data. 
The truth is we aren't mind readers and we can't tell how people feel about us. And most likely you are telling yourself a worse story than what is happening. We have built our lives out of all of the things that have happened to us in our life. It includes our childhood trauma, early school experiences, things that have hurt us in the past. They are kind of the filter in which we view every experience through. And so these stories that we tell ourselves about what something means are really filtered through what we expect them to mean based off of experiences we've had before and not necessarily belonging to this experience. And because of that, it may be worth exploring where you first received the message that people are mad at you without talking to you about it. Like, when do you remember this first happening? And this can be helpful because it can remind you that it belongs to that situation. But often it happens so early that it becomes that lens through which we view the world and we apply it to a lot more situations after that. For volatile emotions or experiencing your emotions really quickly, a couple of things. First, meditation is a gift and a treasure when it comes to volatile emotions, creating that necessary space between thoughts, feelings, and action. Meditation is incredible for that. So honestly, most of us need daily meditation on a regular basis. It's just almost maintenance at this point. The next piece is maybe it would be helpful for you to get alone in that moment to breathe or to yell or to punch a pillow before expressing how it felt to other individuals, right? So instead of kind of getting that anger out to someone else, maybe you can get that expressed in anger privately and then come back when you feel like you can calmly express what it is that you need to express. Okay, so our next question for here. Hi, I always wonder when helping some of my friends understand which type is most likely theirs, how they can identify their motivations when they have such a hard time understanding who they are. How can we help people understand their true motives, especially when they are not in touch with themselves? Okay, so I really like this question. And here's the thing to consider is which one of these do you believe you have to be? Like when we're looking at different types that we think we might be, which one feels like what it is to be a good person? Like which one feels like this is how we all should be? That's oftentimes an indicator into which one we might lead with. Also, I think it's important to ask if they truly read the descriptions of each type for themselves, because if not, that can be the biggest difference between someone not being able to identify their type and identifying it. Because as people of another type, when we describe the types of others, honestly, it's it's so hard to not minimize it and to not simplify it. But when we read the descriptions, there's just so much depth and nuance and complexity there that we oftentimes overlook on types that are not our own. So it's really important that they read the type descriptions for themselves unless you are a trained Enneagram coach and you're doing a typing workshop, like a typing session with them. That is a totally different thing. But when you're talking about like friends and family, definitely make sure they've read every single description because otherwise... This could be a process that takes forever that could actually be done in like five or 10 minutes. Now, it's also helpful to keep in mind that when we are so out of touch with our motivations and who we are, 
oftentimes that is either a three, six, nine, like one of those three in that triangle. Now that's not always the case, but it could be a good place to start. Like if they have read all the descriptions, then maybe you could play with, okay, let's talk out three, six, and nine and see if any of those are resonate for you. But otherwise, yeah, definitely start with which one of these do you believe you have to be? Make sure they've read the descriptions. And then you could toy with three, six, and nine as a good starting place. Okay, our next question. What are the main differences between the five and the nine? My husband can't decide what type he is. So first, let's talk about their commonalities because I think it's helpful when we start to discuss their differences. They're both withdrawing types. Nines prioritize peace of mind and fives prioritize managing their energy levels. And this can look similar, right? Both don't tend to speak up in large groups and they may prefer time on their own. And both can be really great listeners and give good feedback. Now, the major differences here is that nines are more concerned with severing connections. So they may mute their opinions or even shift them to match the people they're with as to not offend or make anyone uncomfortable, while fives prioritize fact and research over making others feel comfortable. Fives can even be argumentative, while nines would rather avoid any conflict. Nines are less detail-oriented than a lot of the other types and have a hard time prioritizing their time, while fives are often highly focused and get so into detail that it's consuming, and often they may lose themselves in researching the tiniest details of something they're curious about. And finally, like nines in general tend to struggle with numbing out, so they kind of want to shut down and not do anything that's overstimulating. While fives, they like to go away and be alone to think and to think a lot and to think hard and to research and work and tinker. So yeah, that's a big difference there. All right. Our final question for today, I'm texting my Enneagram question for your podcast. It might not be worth answering, but just in case you get the chance, that is such a nice way to phrase it. That's so sweet. I'm a type four. My sister is a type nine and my mom is a type six. We really want to know what type our dad is, but every time he does the lengthy tests online, he gets a different type. So far he has got types two, seven, and three. We actually thought he would be a type one or eight. Do you have any suggestions on how we can figure out what type he is? Thank you. So kind of going back to the other question that I answered, which is to really have him read the descriptions instead of taking a test because these tests can be pretty inaccurate and it's kind of hard to test accurately on them. So if you do have him go through, read the type descriptions, at least on those five that he's already kind of resonated with in some way and see if any of those are just like obviously right for him. Now, the truth is, I don't know your dad. I don't have, I can't really do much from here in order to help, but I'll just kind of answer in terms of like if I were meeting him based off of what you sent me, where I would start. So I would guess that maybe he's an assertive type, either three, seven or eight, just because he typed with two assertive types as his answers for the other test. So that might be like an inclination for me, but I would start first with where he thought he was. So when he said he thought he might be a one and an eight, I would really start there. And 
if he resonated with eight, it would kind of make sense in his results. So eights go to two and stress and he could have a seven wing and maybe he relates to one because there are some similarities in terms of black and white thinking, strong work ethics. And three could have shown up in his test because eights and threes are both goal oriented and action oriented types. Now, conversely, if he were dominant type one, he could have a two wing, go to seven and rest and relate to three and eight because threes, eights and ones all kind of struggle with overworking, having a strong work ethic, and can be pretty goal-oriented. So it would make sense. Both of those could make sense. So again, I would have him read the descriptions and say which one felt the most revealing or uncomfortable for him. So I hope that this was helpful, everyone. I love answering your questions. But that does it for another Q&A episode. Don't forget to call or text your questions into 828-338-9127, and we'll answer them one Wednesday coming soon. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and leave a rating and review on iTunes. It means the world to podcasters like me. And as always, it is such a joy to create this content for you. I will see you tomorrow for the next episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.